0: Hello and welcome to today's Vijay Heemolk podcast. In today's podcast, we'll be hearing from leading experts in the field of classical Hodgkin lymphoma as they discuss key trial updates and data on the use of PET scans that was presented at the 2021 ICML and EHAR meetings. First up, we'll be hearing from Julia Dryson from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands who is going to talk us through the predictive value of 18F FDG PET radiomics in relapsed and refractory Hodgkin lymphoma.
1: Uh, the aim of our research was to develop a predictive model based on clinical and PET scan features, uh, because in patients with relatoidskin lymphoma, there are several novel treatments, such as prontoximofidotin, which I explained in the other uh, research, uh, which we have tested in the Transmit-Brave study. And there's a high need for better risk stratifications to be able to uh, determine which patients need which treatment. Uh, so one way to do that is, of course, with serum tarcan or uh, interim PET but actually you also want to have baseline parameters that you can apply to choose from baseline which therapy you want to give to the patients. Uh, And the PET-CT scan is a standard used in in standard clinical practice for staging, um, but using quantitative analysis of of these uh, PET scans, you can probably extract uh, features that have a better uh, prognostic score. And we did that. So quantitative analysis is uh, called radiomics. And this is actually an extraction of uh, several calculations on the PET scan. So a PET scan is made out of uh, 3D pixels that are called, called voxels. And you can just do all kinds of mathematical co- comparisons with the intensity of those voxels. And uh, we especially focused on patient-level features. So for example, the distance between lesions or the intensity between lesions and the volume of the lesions and the heterogeneity between the lesions. And that appeared to be a good prognostic uh, a good way to have to make a prognostic model. So eventually after the PET scan analysis, we had about 20 dispersity features. So the, the features that are that measure the spread of the disease and the interlesion correlations. And we com- uh, combined this with clinical characteristics. We put it in a model and then uh, we applied machine learning on that. So we used a general uh, a linear regression model with backward selection to select the best features. And that led to a prognostic model, which, we, uh, which I presented in the uh, presentation. Uh, and this model had a high prognostic score and it could significantly discriminate between high and low risk patients. So this can possibly be used in future clinical trials to guide uh, treatment uh, decisions. Next,
0: we're going to hear from Anne Lacasse of the dana farber Cancer Institute in Boston. And she's going to give an update on the Phase 2 CalGB 50801 trial, which is assessing PET-adapted therapy in bulky stage 1 and 2 classical
2: Hodgkin lymphoma. We did uh, CALGB 50801, uh, which is a US intergroup study looking at patients with bulky classic Hodgkin lymphoma. And it was a PET-adapted study. Uh, So the questions that we were asking in our hypothesis was that we could omit radiotherapy in patients who were negative by PET scan after two cycles of ABVD. And for those who were PET positive, uh, we escalated therapy uh, and included radiation with hopes of improving outcomes in that particular subset of patients. And overall, we uh, enrolled um, uh, 94 valuable patients and of those 78% were PET2 negative. Uh, The patients uh, in the PET-2 negative arm received a total of six cycles of ABVD, and they had excellent outcomes with a progression-free survival of 93% at three years. Uh, The patients who were PET-2 positive received uh, four cycles of escalated BACOP followed by radiotherapy, and in that group, uh, the outcome was unexpectedly good uh, at about 90% at three years. Interestingly, uh, the Alliance had done a prior similar study in non-bulky classic Hodgkin lymphoma, uh, though patients received uh, a total of four cycles of ABBD, and the PET positive uh, received two cycles of escalated BACOP. The outcomes in that study in the PET2 positive patients uh, were 67%, so we were quite pleased uh, with the outcome, and really, I think this is, there have been a number of studies that have uh, recently demonstrated, including the RAFL and other PET-adapted studies, that for those who are uh, PET2-negative, early uh, that omitting radiotherapy does not appear to compromise uh, progression-free survival. And we can avoid the late toxicities of radiotherapy, including cardiovascular disease and risk of second cancers, uh, particularly in young women.
0: We're now going to hear five-year follow-up data from two key clinical trials which were investigating immunotherapies for the treatment of Hodgkin lymphoma. First, Stephen Ansel of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester is going to talk us through updated data from the Checkmate 205 trial.
3: The Checkmate 205 study uh, is a study looking at the efficacy of a PD 1 antibody, Nivolumab. And what really is becoming increasingly important is to understand how the treatment continues to work, particularly in the subset of patients where a very durable remission is seen in the long term. So many will remember that the study showed that in all of the cohorts tested, there was a very promising and, and exciting response rate of about 65 to 75% of the patients. And overall, the durability of that response was about uh, 15 months. The key though was to see in time how patients have done over the long term. And now with five years of follow-up, we can see that particularly in patients who have a complete response to therapy, those responses can be very durable. And there are a subset of patients who were actually able to achieve a complete remission and then after a year of treatment as per protocol, discontinue treatment. As we followed those patients over time, half of them have remained in remission, and the other half, many of them could be retreated and the the remission restored with giving back nivolumab at a time of progression. So I think what that teaches us is that there is a subset of patients who really benefit from immune checkpoint blockade with PD-1 antibodies these people may have very durable remissions, particularly if they have a complete remission, and some of them remain in remission now at five years. And with a hopeful eye to the future, we trust that these might be a subset of patients who are in fact cured of their disease.
0: Finally, we're going to hear from Martin Hutchings from the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark, and he's going to talk us through the five-year follow-up data from the Echelon 1 trial, which presented at this year's EHA meeting.
4: So, the Echelon 1 study was a large randomized uh, study, including more than 1,300 patients with stage 3 or stage 4 Hodgkin lymphoma, which uh, ended uh, accrual a long time ago. So, what was presented here at the EHA uh, meeting was the uh, five year update of patients treated on this study. Five years after the completion of treatment for advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma is a point in time when you expect the vast, vast, vast majority of relapses to have occurred. So that means that if you are alive and progression-free at five years, it almost invariably means that you're cured. So clinically, really a meaningful point in time to do uh, an update of uh, this first-line study. So the study was a randomization between standard treatment with ABVD, which is a backbone therapy in, in advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma has been for decades and the experimental arm, which was A plus ABD, essentially uh, ABBD with the omission of bleomycin and with the addition of brintuximab, which uh, was all, already registered and approved for the treatment of relapsing factory disease, uh, Hodgkin lymphoma. So um, already the primary analysis of this study showed a, a, an advantage uh, in favor of the experimental arm which was after approximately two years of median follow-up. So now we have five years of follow-up. And what is found essentially is that the progression-free survival, as judged by the investigators, still um, uh, is in favor of the experimental arm with a roughly 7% difference in favor of the experimental arm, 82 versus 75%. Uh, of uh, five-year progression-free survival. So this difference is being maintained, perhaps even uh, getting a little bit larger with time. So that means that roughly uh, there's a 30% reduction in the the risk of failing first-line therapy with the experimental arm as compared to the standard uh, ABVD arm. So this is one interesting thing, not a great surprise. We've seen the same PFS difference in updates after three and four years of uh, median follow-up. Uh, What is really new is also uh, an analysis of some of the side effects after treatment. One prominent side effect of brintuximabodotin is sensory peripheral neuropathy and also motor neuropathy, Um, and this certainly is something which occurs uh, with higher frequency and higher severity in the experimental arm than in the standard arm, even though it's also a problem in the standard arm uh, despite the absence of brintuximabodotin. So, what is being what is seen after five years is a a continued improvement of uh, peripheral neuropathy in those patients who who had that problem during or after therapy. So, patients uh, continue to. Uh, experience complete resolution of their neuropathy symptoms and those who still have remaining symptoms generally experience improvement of those symptoms which is really encouraging um, uh, that that these symptoms can get better even after three four and now five years of follow-up also uh, the abstract and the presentation gave data on uh, other side effects one uh, that have not been presented uh, in the previous updates from this study. One is on secondary malignancies. There are second second or secondary malignancies have been recorded in patients in both treatment arms, but it's uh, clear that uh, there is uh, certainly not a higher rate of secondary malignancies in the uh, experimental arm, uh, even though there's no statistical analysis per se, 19 uh, second malignancies in the experimental arm versus 29 in the standard arm. So certainly, if there is a difference, it's in favour of the experimental arm. But we can't say that there's uh, a true difference. But certainly, there's no difference in uh, in uh, favour of the standard arm. And then the last important analysis is an analysis of uh, fertility and. Uh, Successful pregnancies, and in this analysis, uh, we see that there is no difference uh, to be recorded either. Uh, actually, there are, uh, in in actual numbers, more uh, pregnancies of female patients and, and pregnancies and newborn babies of partners of uh, um, of male patients, female partners, male, male patients. So, also here, it's encouraging to see that. Um, that A plus ABD does not harm fertility in those patients. It's already well known that ABVD can be given to young uh, female and male patients without compromising fertility uh, significantly. But this is uh, uh, now shown to be also the case for A plus ABD, which is really encouraging since it's a new standard of care for the treatment of advanced stage lymphoma.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We'd like to thank all of our speakers for sharing those updates with us. For more updates on the treatment and management of Hodgkin lymphoma, you can visit vjhemok.com or follow us on Twitter at vjhemok. Don't forget to subscribe to VJ Podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple
2: and Podbean.